This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Justin Trudeau conferring with European leaders in regards on how to deal with the new U.S. administration, uh, though details aren't made public. I don't know why. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Christia Freeland is meeting with Rex Tillerson, the new Secretary of State. How will we balance all of this? How will they balance all of this? Nor El Kadri is with us, professor at the Telfer School of Management, University of Ottawa, and with us now. Hello, Nor. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Before we get on uh, what people and world leaders are saying behind uh, Donald Trump's back to each other, let me ask you, we have seen protest votes in the form of Brexit. We have seen it in the form of Donald Trump. Uh, in Ontario, we're seeing Liz Sandals make elitist comments about people who ride the GO train. We're seeing uh, Ron Ambrose, interim conservative leader, uh, you know, chastising Trudeau for taking elitist vacations while she's doing the exact same thing. Where is Canada's protest vote, do you think? Is this a, a opportunity for the NDP? Well, we've we've seen similar protest votes in uh, in Canada. We've seen that in in Alberta with uh, yeah uh, with uh, with the NDP uh, taking office uh, after a 40-year um, uh, rule by by the Conservatives. Uh, we've seen that in Saskatchewan after four um, uh, governments of the NDP having uh, the Saskatchewan party take over. So we, we've seen similar things. We've seen the NDP taking that uh, move in uh, in uh, Nova Scotia before. So we've got some protest votes, uh, not at the, the federal level. Uh, we've seen it in uh, with Jack Layton um, in uh, mm-hmm. uh, in 2011. Uh, in fact, we're we're pioneers in this. Uh, and um, do we expect to see similar ones uh, in the future? It is. It is absolutely possible. We we could see it with the NDP or we could see it with the Conservatives. Uh, both of them are vying for new leaderships, and uh, we've, we're seeing anti-establishment moves, with, uh, especially with the Conservatives. And uh, that, that could be the, the next wave. Will the anti-establishment uh, movement, will that, will that create a more socialist government, a more socialist society in Canada over the next couple of decades, do you think? Compared to the United States, uh, we're uh, considered uh, more of closer to, to the socialist countries as opposed to uh, a capitalist one. So uh, I wouldn't see a big big difference or big changes, given uh, our stances on the environment, given uh, that we have a, a publicly funded education system, we have a publicly funded uh, healthcare system. Uh, we have a uh, unemployment benefits, uh, you know, similarly with, with welfare uh, systems. All of those are um, are social programs that um, they don't enjoy them in the United States. And uh, any government that uh, would come on the left side would not be giving any big moves or changes on on that domain. In fact, it's just it's going to strengthen the, um, the existing programs that we have with uh, probably some higher targets, whether it is on the education, the environment, or healthcare. All right, let's move on to uh, Donald Trump, because it seems what we talk about every day here. Um, what, are world leaders, what are world leaders talking about when they're having these uh, little conversations about how to deal with Donald Trump? H- have you ever seen a situation where uh, leaders are so concerned about how to deal with somebody? Um, not really, because this is this is the unpredictable president that we've uh, had. Uh, in in fact, I, uh, I'll I'll be teaching uh, a course at Loughborough University next week about uh, digital diplomacy and and economic diplomacy in the Trump era and uh, post Brexit. And all of those are are new things. And in my preparations for next week, I was seeing world leaders just reacting to uh, what Donald Trump is uh, is doing. Uh, this public diplomacy, we haven't seen much of it uh, around the world. Like Donald Trump going to Twitter, just throwing a few statements, and and it becomes policy, or uh, he follows that by, by an executive order. One thing that he's not realizing uh, is that uh, in the United States, the United States has a system uh, uh, that uh, is completely um, very well regulated. It's complex. They have the judiciary, they have the media, they have the... Um, they have public institutions that um, that have a process for for governance, and Donald Trump is just bypassing many of those and uh, 
it will come to a situation where Donald Trump will realize sooner or later that uh, he's against the hard wall. Um, the idea of having judges uh, uh, going against his uh, his executive orders is, is one of them. Uh, now we've seen 93 companies going against him, uh, trying to sue him in, in terms of uh, uh, his ban on uh, on Muslims and and, and people from from some some countries. So these uh, these types of initiatives that are coming from uh, from Trump are triggering. Uh, new ways of thinking by by world leaders on how they should deal with him but i believe if they just wait a little bit uh they take it easy um things will settle down in the united states i mean they don't have to um go into arm wrestling with uh, with him how do you uh prepare yourself so you are not the next one he hangs up on like, you know, it seems uh, some are being a little bit more cautious in how they uh, handle him. Others are taking him on head to head. There is no doubt that uh, Donald Trump has been called all names from moron and, uh, and crazy and all of these things. But uh, and we've seen world leaders like uh, Australian prime minister hanging up on him or uh, or uh, or the, the president of, uh, of Mexico not coming to meet him. So depending on your relationship, depending on your interest, you need to play a stick and a carrot role. If you're the Australian prime minister, you can afford to do these things. If you're the Canadian prime minister, you cannot afford to do these things. Uh, Our economy is highly dependent on on the United States. Um, They are our biggest uh, trading partner. Uh, 35 uh, states in the United States uh, have Canada as their number one trading partner. So... Making sure, as a prime minister, Justin Trudeau is going to engage Donald Trump as opposed to uh, going head-to-head with him is, is a wise policy. On, on the other hand, you can't uh, uh, give a lot. I mean, there must be a bar or a minimum or a threshold that you cannot bypass uh, as a Canadian prime minister in dealing with, uh, with Donald Trump. Uh, this act of diplomacy uh, by our prime minister is a good thing, but it's going um, uh, so far so quick. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we're having Christia Freeland go and meet with uh, with these leaders uh, in the United States um, all at once, um, trying to get as much information as uh, as possible. Uh, other aspects of uh, of the whole uh, situation coming from. Uh, Bill Morneau now, he's going to go to the United States. He's going to meet with many leaders, but not he's not going to meet with, with his counterparts. Uh, so, uh, because they're not vetted yet. He's, he's not confirmed. Right. So, um, that, I think this is going too fast, too fast on, uh, on the preparation in terms of dealing with, uh, with Donald Trump and, and his, his place. You talked about all these preliminary, uh, preliminary meetings that have been going on prior to a meeting with Trump and, and Trudeau, uh, and you're talking about going too fast. Um, what are the reasons for these meetings? Why, uh, like obviously there are, this is in prepa- uh, preparation for uh, a Trudeau visit, but why do you say that this is being too aggressive? Wouldn't this be good planning? Um, good, good planning um, it, uh, should be done in, in a way that is, that is more cautious. Uh, having Christia Freeland know all of these polls um, is, is fine, but she went there, and there are many ideological divisions. I mean, uh, we have a liberal government here, and we have a conservative Senate, a conservative Congress, and a conservative president of the United States. All those Republicans in the United States have ideologically driven agendas, whether it is on trade, whether it is on foreign relations, whether it is on uh, uh, on investments, on borders, on security. So uh, you can just jump and go and meet with them and put everything on the table as, um, as fast as, as possible. You have to see what they have to offer. I mean, we opened the discussions about NAFTA before them. I mean, even in the um, uh, as soon as he was elected, we said we were willing to open NAFTA and discuss uh, NAFTA. Right. Let him deal with it. Let him focus on it. Let him has, have his challenges, especially with the president of Mexico, 
and probably he would come backwards with uh, with a less aggressive agenda, and we will be more prepared uh, to to deal with Trump and and his policies. Uh, so, in other words, let so in other words, let him initiate these meetings as opposed to trying to jump through hoops and do what he thinks is right. Uh, yes, because most of his policies are considered drunk from our uh, perspective. These are things that we campaign against. The federal government, especially members of the Trudeau campaign, they were campaigning with uh, with Hillary Clinton against him. So it was obvious, it was clear, even like uh, some people in the prime minister's office, they were saying that they held meetings with, uh, with people in the, uh, in the Clinton camp and they are using some of their policies uh, and ideas and tactics for, for the elections. And, uh, and suddenly they... Um, they are in government, and then they are working with um, with, with Trump, and they're just jumping uh, on the other end of the pendulum. Hmm. Uh, this is not wise. This is too quick, too fast. They should take um, um, a little bit of breath, uh, see what's going to happen, and deal what, with what is on the table in a more cautious way rather than just going fast. So rather than pre- being proactive, uh, let him play the first card. Um, I, I would suggest that, especially that we had said uh, completely the opposite stuff about him. Hmm. We kind of stood against Trump in his campaign. The prime minister stood against Trump in the early days of his, his campaign. And then when he saw that Trump had a chance of winning, he started to say, we're going to deal with, uh, with the president of the United States, whoever they are. They should not have meddled in the U.S. elections in the first place. Hmm. But because they did that, they should wait a little bit. They should take it easy. I think the wise, the wisest person was uh, the parliamentary secretary of, uh, of foreign affairs uh, for U.S. relations is uh, um, the General Andrew Leslie. General Andrew Leslie said, we need to wait and see. We need to focus a little bit and relax. And uh, um, this, this, is, this is a wise policy, especially if you have uh, some people... Um, on his uh, on his team that are veterans that are um, working uh, on on policies that they have promised that they're going to do in the campaign, we can't go as low as Donald Trump did, and we can't jeopardize our economy uh, in that um, in that sense. Whether it is on NAFTA, whether it is on border uh, links, whether it is on security, whether it is on research and innovation, we can't go the Trump way at all. And engaging Trump has to be. With, with your own agenda, not with what Trump has to offer, with your own agenda that is completely opposite to that of Trump. Uh, will Trump hold that against Trudeau, the fact that he did support Hillary Clinton publicly? Um, uh, Trump is unpredictable. Everything is possible. Um, he's, uh, I mean, he's sticking to his guns. He certainly has in the past. Anyone that spoke out against him, he certainly jumped on. He he did that with with others, and I wouldn't see why he would he's going to do that against uh, Trudeau, and um, that's why I think Trudeau should, um, I mean, has uh, should have some bone when when it comes to to dealing with uh, with Trump. We shouldn't go and uh, on the lower side with with Trump, and um, the NDP is going to be a big beneficiary of uh, of this relationship because the conservatives think Trump is. Uh, is their own, and many of them they think that okay we could deal with Trump because he's, he comes from the same breed, um, and they try to pressure the prime minister, and the winner and and this is going to be the NDP and, and Thomas Mulcair. Thomas Mulcair has been the only person who was all the time uh, having a very strong message against Trump that he's a racist and we cannot afford that. Um, he's a moron and we cannot afford that. What, uh, considering the two personalities here, um, obviously Trudeau, uh, very charismatic, much more uh, personable, uh, certainly seems to be a uh, a fence mender. He's the sort of guy that stands, you know, and tries to bring two sides together. Some may accuse him of not taking a side, but certainly bringing sides together. Trump, on the other hand, very confrontational, like a bull in a china shop. What do you think it's going to be like when these two meet face to face? Um, I think it's going to be a courteous meeting. Uh, the sense that we're getting from Trudeau is he's not going to be confrontational with Trump. But um, my fear is that uh, if he's not confrontational and he, he doesn't stick uh, uh, to some of um, 
our core Canadian values, um, we we might lose in negotiations with Trump. Uh, or uh, if he keeps things go as they are, and uh, he engages Trump, and then Trump has it his, his way, uh, he's going to lose big time. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, leadership candidate for the uh, Conservatives, says uh, putting Trudeau in the room with Trump is like putting Bambi against Godzilla. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, Kevin O'Leary is is a Trump of Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, definitely he, he knows what uh, he's talking about himself when he talks about uh, Trudeau being with, with Trump. So he's, he's thinking himself with, uh, with Trudeau. There is uh, clear animosity between uh, these types of personalities. And uh, to some extent, uh, Kevin O'Leary is, is right in that sense. When do you think Trump and Trudeau will eventually meet? Well, uh, it's uh, supposed to be very soon. Uh, I mean, Trudeau is preparing for that uh, meeting. Usually, uh, Trump's visit or the U.S. president's visit, uh, first visit is usually to, to Canada. Uh, Trudeau has been making the, the calls, uh, although uh, he, he did that with uh, the French president uh, a few days ago. He did uh, a call with, uh, with, uh, with the prime minister of, uh, of Great Britain. So, uh, and he's, he's discussing Trump with them. What do you think? He's, what do you think they're talking about, Nor? What do you think those conversations are like? Well, uh, I, I would expect is what we're the top uh, things that they discussed on their agenda. Yeah. Mind you, uh, Trudeau might be collecting some information, but he cannot take the same uh, role as Holland or uh, or May, mm-hmm. who, uh, who are very far from from the United States. The United States, they can take whatever uh, discussion with, uh, with Trump. Um, the United States might be important to them um, in, uh, in in general, but we cannot draw par- parallels between Canada and Britain or Canada and, and France. Canada and the United States, they share a very long border. Mm-hmm. Uh, we share very long ties. There are lots of values that are common, and you've got somebody in the United States who's trying to tear all of that apart. And what we need to do is make sure that none of that happens, and it cannot be affected by any reactions that they come from from outside. Uh, I am with the engagement uh, policies of Justin Trudeau, but he has to be more cautious and he has to draw a line or a threshold of what he can give um, versus what uh, what he can take. There are lots of things, whether it is about the environment or it is about uh, main Canadian uh, values or immigration or banning. These are things that you have to say no to Trump to his face. Uh, even if it has to create some jeopardy uh, in the relationship with the United States. Because the majority of the people in the United States are against Trump's policies. Is, the majority of the establishments there and uh, the judiciary are against Trump in this. Is this the first big test for Trudeau? How big a test is this for him? Well, uh, there has been many tests for uh, for Trudeau. Uh, I think he's not doing well um, with the public in uh, in general. He failed uh, nationally on many many fronts. One of them is electoral reform, uh, breaking a, a major elections uh, promise. Uh, the other one is on the economy and the, and the budget. He campaigned on uh, on a ten billion dollar deficit maximum and balancing the budget by 2021. Uh, that's not going to happen. We're going to see uh, lots of challenges uh, when the budget is going to be presented in February or March. Um, there's going to be another big test on, on foreign relations and um, making sure that um, the, uh, the test with the United States is going to be a pass. Uh, I, I think it's, a big, it's going to be a big challenge. Nor El Kadri has been with us, professor at the Telfer School of Management, University of Ottawa. Nor, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We've chatted with a few of the candidates for the federal conservative leadership, uh, including Kelly Leach, Kevin O'Leary, Lisa Raitt. Uh, we have another candidate that will be in town next week in the Hammer uh, for you to meet. Re- uh, Rick Peterson is with us. He is a businessman and entrepreneur who is running from the uh, for the position. Uh, and, of course, uh, Vancouver businessman Rick Peterson is with us now. Hello, Rick. How are you today? 
Scott, I'm great. Thanks very much for having me uh, on your show. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time. We greatly appreciate this. We understand you're coming out in a week or so. Uh, The first question, how do you break through this herd of candidates vying for the federal conservatives? Well, I'm the only one, Scott, who has family ties in Hamilton. I'm. Uh, I understand I'm, that. What is the connection? I'm, well, Irish uh, Peterson is uh, is from the East End of Hamilton, and uh, we have family there in Hamilton and and on the East End. And I got to tell you, I think that gives me a leg up on anybody. <laughs> Good point. Hamilton always supports its own. Although you know you're a Westerner now, how do you sell that? Well, I tell you, uh, Scott, I mean, the, the, the issues that are in East End of Hamilton, I, I grew up in a small town in northern Alberta called Grand Prairie, and I do live in Vancouver, but Irish and I are from small town. I'm a small businessman with, uh, you know, I know what it's like to meet payroll, and I think the uh, message that we had as conservatives in 2015 is Canadians, uh, you know, were tired of what they saw. They wanted a new voice. Conservatives need a new voice. And the 14 of us, Scott, there's 12 of them are full-time politicians. So the only other two are Kevin O'Leary and myself. And and uh, I think what you're seeing is the media is paying attention to a lot of things that create smoke and heat. But the conservative membership that Irish and I see on the road every day, they're telling us it's jobs, it's the economy, and it's the debt. And uh, whether you're in East End of Hamilton or in Grand Prairie or in West Vancouver, the same issue, and that's why our internal polls got show me as uh, one of the top three candidates right now. Hmm. Um, uh, obviously, as we chatted about Brexit and Trump and stuff, the, those are obviously were protest votes, and, and and you know, at first people thought it. Well, who cares what they thought about it first? It eventually turned out to be that people were just fed up with the status quo and wanted anything. How does how does well, I won't bring in the liberals at this point, but how do established political parties uh, fight against that? How do you, you know, you said you're you're one of two that isn't a, a, a traditional politician. Is there an anti-establishment movement out there? How can you cash in on that? I think the question, Scott, is really what's most important to, uh, again, people in East End Hamilton or to, or to anybody who's out there who's just, you know, either trying to make payroll. Uh, you know, I mean, if you run a, if you run a Timmy's or you run a small little grocery shop or you run... Uh, a large company, the bottom line is what's happening at the federal government level that affects me and my employees and my livelihood. And right now, right now, the issue is the debt. It's the spending that the uh, Trudeau liberals have brought on. And Scott, I, I, as a kid, I remember when in northern Alberta, my dad lost his business, my mom lost our house, and my brother lost his construction company with the Trudeau father. But same thing, Scott, right? The Conservatives left the books balanced a year and a half ago. Look where we are now. $25 billion deficit going to $1.5 trillion, and we got to stop that. So if you and I and everybody in our families is counting on the Social Security net that we have for seniors, for hospitals, and for everybody, we got to stop that. And I'm the only one in the Conservative Party that has a plan to do it. And the other thing, Scott, too, is, you know, Irish and I have four children between the two of us, and we don't want them paying the debt that Justin Trudeau's racking up right now, right? So if it's the equivalent of me driving through the Timmies and not paying for my coffee and donuts and sticking the kids in the car behind me to pay the bill, too, so we can't let that happen. Uh, as you mentioned, or as we mentioned, you started as a small businessman uh, and, and worked your way up. Why politics? Why did you decide to get into this? Why did you decide to jump into a race with all these seasoned politicians? You know, Scott, I've worked at the uh, grassroots of the Conservative Party of Canada uh, since 1986. I, I've, I've uh, knocked on doors. I've worked on campaigns. I've stuffed envelopes. I've made phone calls. And and quite simply, the um, got into the race because I had a lot of support from across Canada who people think that I've, I've got what it takes to beat Justin Trudeau. You need an economic plan, and I have one, which your uh, listeners can see at petersonleader.ca, and a slash taxes, balance the budget, create jobs. Second thing you do to beat Justin Trudeau is you need to speak French. I uh, am fluently bilingual. I lived in France for 10 years, and if you look at the Quebec debates that we had, Scott, and and the Moncton debates, uh, I am the most fluently bilingual Anglophone in the race. And the third thing is you need the grassroots support. So Kevin O'Leary has one of those. The other 12 that I have against me are full-time politicians. They're all good people, Scott. 
But to get back to your initial comments on Brexit and what people are looking for, they're not looking for politics as usual, are they? They're looking for something new. So uh, the campaign that Irish and I are doing, I mean, she quit her job two Fridays ago. She's with me on the road, and we're traveling across Canada meeting Conservatives. We were just in Halifax, going to be in Hamilton next Wednesday. We're going to have an event at some point there to, to meet everybody. But the bottom line is we hear every day across Canada, people are worried about jobs and the economy and the future, and uh, we have a plan to turn things around and to enjoy a good, strong majority government in 2019. Uh, after the last election, as you mentioned, Conservatives said they were looking for a softer general, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'm, th- these are my words, not yours, uh, softer, mm-hmm. general, uh, gentler, more likable approach. Um, are you worried that the leaders like the Kelly Leaches or even the Kevin O'Leary's are steering the party away from this approach? You know, what's great about being a Conservative, Scott, is we welcome all views, Right. I think Kelly, uh, if she was Kelly on your program earlier on, have you had yeah. her on your program? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I think Kelly's right to talk about Canadian values. There, there are Canadian values, right? And getting back to, to the east side of Hamilton, but I mean, it's hard work, it's saving, it's thrift, it's, it's entrepreneurship, it's respect. Where Kelly's wrong is you can't screen immigrants for that, right? That's wrong. So Kevin O'Leary, I think, is great to have Kevin on board because he knows how to create a message and create awareness. And listen, uh, competition makes us all better. I think Kevin O'Leary coming into the race makes all of us pick up your game, right? So, um, but at the end of the day, again, conservatives are going to think, which of these people can beat Justin Trudeau? I don't think Kelly's message is inclusive, as we're hoping progressives and conservatives together can be. I don't think Kevin's experience, when it stacks up under the light, he's a he's a good showman and a good brand celebrity. But you know what? Uh, you got to have more than that. So, At the end of the day, I think this conservative leadership race is a celebration of conservative thought from across Canada. At the end of the day, Scott, who's going to beat Justin Trudeau? Who's going to create a balanced budget? And who's going to create jobs? And I think the answer is me. Uh, We talked about the number of candidates in this race. When do you think this herd will will start to call? When when, when do you think that... uh you know, as you said, the, the cream starts to rise to the top and, and people can focus in on uh, individuals as opposed to such a large group. How, the, the fact that it, this is staying so large for so long, is it, good or bad? Great. Um, the more people in the race, I think the more points of view you have. Uh, nobody's going to drop out, Scott, right? We're all in there. We all have paid the money. We all are committed to the very end. Yeah, good point. And I, I think what's going to happen is most Canadians, one of the things I hear, and, you know, Irish and I were in Halifax on Saturday, people came up to me and said, whoa, I never heard of you before, but you're my number one vote, right? So I think what's going to happen, Scott, is we have a long time until the race is over. Uh, We're crisscrossing the country to try to meet as many people as we can. I think most people are going to narrow it down to their four or five different uh, candidates, but I think choice is good. You know, the, the NDP can't find a candidate to run, I don't think, can they? And hmm. the Liberals had a coronation with uh, Justin Trudeau. Conservatives, we have a good old-fashioned Donnybrook out there. We have 14 people uh, who respect each other, but who are fighting tooth and nail and who are proposing ideas that I think are original. And I heard the last little pit, uh, Scott, about your Bombardier thing. One of my policies is eliminating zero or going down to zero corporate income tax. And I'm also going to cut every individual Canadian's personal income tax to 15%. Okay. Whoa, say that again. Zero percent, uh, say that again. Zero percent corporate income tax to stimulate the economy. When companies come into Canada and they know they're paying zero corporate income tax, they're going to pay salaries. Your radio station, if they didn't pay income tax, maybe they would uh, finally pay you the salary that you deserve. How, 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 do you get, how do businesses get away with paying no tax? That's with a zero well, income. They don't pay a lot of tax as it is right now, Scott. Do you know, I'm going to ask you a skill testing question. No, please I'm don't. I'm not the candidate. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you then that the uh, corporate income tax is only 14 cents out of every tax dollar in Canada. And then what ends up happening is you give Bombardier subsidies, which you should not be doing. And one thing about Bombardier is they have two classes of shares. You may know that. Part of those shares, the family owns, and individual investors can't vote on those shares. So what's happening, Scott, is you and I are giving money to a family that essentially runs a company that's getting government subsidies. That's not fair. So the reason I want zero corporate income tax is companies like Bombardier 
are going to have no more subsidies. They have the money that they come in the door. They're going to expand. They're going to invest. They're going to pay salaries. And are you worried that that's not where the money will go, though, Rick? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, any money that, that, that corporations save, is it really going into the employees or is it going back to shareholders? If, well, Scott, if it goes back to shareholders, guess what? They pay tax on it. Yeah. If it goes to uh, employees, they pay tax on it. If they invest, they pay tax on it. So my plan is going to essentially put a 10% growth on the economy in four years. That's like a 50% increase in the budget of Ontario. So the jobs are going to be created, Scott. And, and this is not an original idea. It's being done right now. It's being done in Ireland. It's being done in the Baltic Coast area, the Baltic, the former Eastern European countries. And it's being done in the Gulf. And you know where else it's being done, Scott? The United States of America. They're just dropping their corporate income tax rate from 35 to 15. They don't have a VAT, so it's the equivalent of us going to zero. And if you think that Donald Trump isn't ready to come into Canada and take business away from here, then you're wrong, because he is. So I'm proposing the only credible plan that's going to save Canadian jobs, drive the economy, and provide us with a safety net that we're all hoping we have 20 years from now. Uh, Many will ask how you pay for programs with a 0% income tax rate. There's two things you do, Scott. You're going to be increasing the economic activity in the country, which generates more tax revenue. And the second thing you're going to do is, because of the debt that we had to, uh, Justin Trudeau has installed us, has given us, there's going to be an increase in consumption taxes, and consumption taxes will be hitting those people who are consuming more, so that's people who will be making more money. So it's a balance of the two. At the end of the day, Scott, most families are going to receive about $4,200 an extra income that will more than compensate for the extra consumption tax they pay. Hmm. So it's a it's a pretty straightforward plan. We have to get something going in the economy. I think you're over six percent. Um, I think you're over six percent unemployment, uh, Scott, in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a lot of new jobs coming into the area. I'm looking forward. You know, I've obviously been to Hamilton to see my father and mother-in-law and our family over there before. But I'm really looking forward to learning more about the economy in Hamilton. But if there's an area has got a very good young population in an area that's close to large infrastructure, I think Hamilton would be one of the strongest beneficiaries of my tax plan. Your thoughts, uh, you mentioned uh, Donald Trump and his election in the United States. Your thoughts on how the current government, our government, is handling relations. Uh, obviously, people have been going down and meeting with the, pres- or the president's people ahead of time, uh, and we're still waiting for uh, a face-to-face with Donald Trump and Justin Trudeau. How do you think that's going to go? What approach do you need to take there? You know, I think Trump's going to, I think he's going to eat Trudeau's lunch. I think that you have an unexperienced uh, prime minister whose main focus is spending and debt up against a very compelling and serious business person who is very aggressively promoting America first issues. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Will they get along? Uh, we've certainly seen how, uh, you know, Trump's personality and the hang-up with the Australian Prime Minister, he's fighting with some, some he's not. Uh, any idea how this relationship will go? You know what? I don't spend a lot of time thinking about uh, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you should always know your enemies. There you go. Well, you know what? Uh, if you go to petersonleader.ca on my website, you'll find out the ideas that we have that are going to be more compelling than what we're seeing coming from Justin Trudeau, Scott, and uh, we're looking forward to coming to Hamilton next week. All right, got about a minute left here. What do you want people to know about Rick Peterson? You know what? Father of uh, three of my own and a stepson uh, uh, from uh, my uh, marriage to Irish. I have a a stepson named David who's the light of my life. I am uh, bilingual. I like to hunt. I am a former hockey player, played at the University of Alberta, played hockey professionally, in France and in Europe. And uh, the biggest thing, Scott, that people come and talk to me about is we have two golden retrievers named Smooch and Bo who are helping on our campaign. And I and Irish, and I miss them terribly right now. <laughs> uh, Rick Peterson has been with us, candidate for the federal conservative leadership, Vancouver business person, entrepreneur, and of course, uh, looking to be in Hamilton next Wednesday. And as soon as we find out more about that, we will let you know uh, what his schedule is. Rick, thank you very much for the time. Good luck. Scott, it's a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML. We, we talked about this last week, and, you know, you open up your electricity bill, 
And it's kind of like reading the terms and conditions of your phone bill. Yeah, you, you, you just don't know what's going on. And uh, with cap and trade coming, uh, the Auditor General wanted Kathleen Wynne to spell out where all the money goes. They figure you're too stupid for that, and it would only make you more confused uh, when really they don't want you to see how much money they're wasting on their green in- energy plan that there was never any cost analysis done or due diligence. We're all for green energy. It's just we're a little ticked off when you're spending uh, $37 billion more for it than what you should be. Uh, but of course, if you question the $37 billion they've overspent, then they label you saying you're not green. Well, no, I'm green. Everybody's green. Everybody is so green. Now, the Green Party is completely irrelevant. There is no party that isn't green. There is no citizen in this country that isn't green. Although Kathleen Wynne will call you a fossil fuel burning pig if you question any of the lack of transparency that has happened uh, with her Green Energy Act. So, uh, what do you do when you have global adjustment charges, delivery charges, fees for Santa Claus? Uh, fees for buying Halloween candy. Uh, what? What is in our bill? We have no idea what's in our bill. It could be anything for all we know. Well, there's an app for that. Thank goodness. Consumers are tired of being kept in the dark when it comes to hidden fees in their bills with rising electricity bills. How can we uh, look at where our money is going? Well, a group has created a website that will help analyze consumers' bills. To talk more about all of this, uh, Thomas Van Stee is with us, founder at Empowered, and he is with us now. Hello, Thomas. How are you today? Good. You? Good. Thanks for taking the time to join us. So why doesn't the government just do this? Yeah, you'd think there shouldn't be a business for me to be able to do this. But uh, unfortunately, it's amazing how there's so much lack of transparency when they're adding costs to your bill, but they're more than happy to show you how much they're saving you with that 8% rebate. Yeah. Uh, like everything is buried and hidden inside of your bill. Yeah, that's a very valid point. I mean, they might as well have that blinking on your bill so you see it. But yet the other stuff is all hidden through all these other charges. So uh, how did this all come about? How did you, how did you, you come up with this idea? Well, I mean, the long story is that uh, my parents got stuck in an electricity contract a few years ago with one of the door-to-door sales guys that are out there. Yeah. So I was trying to help them get out of their contracts. And while I was doing that, I realized there was an entire industry of door-to-door salespeople out there. Um, so I started a company where we do group buying for energy. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, there's no commitments, no cancellation fees. Customers can join a buying group and save money. Uh, but in the process, I realized that most people have no clue what's hiding in their bills and why their costs are going up. And so we actually built this a little while ago to help our customers, and then we realized we should just make it public so everyone else has access to it. And so this is on yourbill.ca, and essentially it allows anyone to say they're a homeowner in Hamilton, and then it splits out all the different fees that are hiding in your bill, and it breaks out what percentage of your money goes to electricity versus your utility versus government initiatives. But wait a sec. How, How do you get this information that the government said we weren't intelligent enough to decode? It took a couple of weeks of digging through PDF files, but essentially it is available if you know where to look. Right. The, the utilities have to ask for permission from the Ontario Energy Board to increase the rates, and they've almost always been increasing, but they do have to ask for permission. And so if you know where to look, you can find those PDF documents, and we had to scrape all the numbers and put them into a giant database, because there's actually about 73 utilities in the province. It's not just a couple. There's a lot of them out there. Um, so we had a, we pulled all the data from government websites and put them on here. And now, essentially, if you put in your, your numbers, rather than just seeing the delivery rate as one number, it puts it out into the 10, 15, 20 different rates that are hidden in there. So is this just a formula? Once they you get your bill, then you just split it up into a pie graph? Or is everyone different? Because every, every, every bill would be different. Yeah, exactly. Every single customer is different depending on your usage, depending on your utility, and depending on where you live. For example, Hydro One in uh, Arthur is very different from Hydro One in Northern Ontario. Mm-hmm. There's there's different charges depending on where you are. And so all of that had to be put in here. So this the calculator we have, it's, it's completely accurate for anyone who's a homeowner or a small business. But if you're a very large business, it's, it's way too complicated, so we didn't put that in here. But the... If you're a homeowner or a small business, this will give you a very detailed breakdown of exactly what's hidden in your bill. And then what do you do? You just start so crying, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's different ways to go about it, but essentially the, the key point of this particular thing, your bill, was just letting people see what's in your bills. Yeah. Up until about six months ago, people complained their prices were going up, but no one was really doing anything about it. 
it's only recently that we've really started to get a bit of a political movement around saying this is ridiculous and we need to do something about this. And I think the one thing that this bill cup that we have shows is that no matter who you are, the global adjustment is usually more than half of your entire bill. Um, and what global, and, and what is included in the global adjustment? Have we ever been able to find out? That's something I've tried very hard to figure out. Um, we posted a blog article on the website. It's about 2,000 words long. It's the shortest I can make it, just trying to explain, you know, what is the global adjustment. Um, the high, at a high level, the main things in there are uh, conservation efforts. So when you install LED light bulbs, you get a rebate that's yeah. covered by the global adjustment. Um, there's apparently some recycling efforts in there, too. I don't know how that makes sense, but that's inside of there. Um, the big one is right now the cost of electricity on the market is about one or two cents. It's really, really cheap. Mm-hmm. But you don't ever see that. And the reason you don't see it is because in order to incentivize companies to come to Ontario and invest in our energy system with wind turbines, with solar panels, but also with the natural gas plants, they guarantee them prices for their electricity. Right. So say you have a wind farm and you are guaranteed 20 cents per kilowatt hour, but the market's only paying you two cents per kilowatt hour. The Man. difference is made up in the global adjustment. What has been the response to this? A lot of outreach, I think. I mean, people, the fun thing with this is, like, if you're a large business, the global adjustment is broken up on your bill. So you know the global adjustment is 60 70% of your bill. Why is, it, why is that broken down for business, but it's not broken down for residential? The, I think the, the explanation, I hope that a good explanation, is that they just simply hit it inside of the fixed rate they give you. Because mm. time of use is kind of blocked over the course of the six months. But the other thing is, I mean, what the government said about the carbon tax, right, is they don't want you to see the, the breakdown. They don't want you to see all the details. Yeah. And they're more than happy to, it's kind of, it's to your point, the carbon tax is kind of amusing. Is they, they said that the bills were too confusing as is. They didn't want there to be a separate line item for that. It was just too confusing. But then they announced the 8% rebate, and they're more than happy to include a separate line item. <laughs> and it's like, well, what, what happened to your original description is that the bill is too confusing. You're more than happy to put a line item for it showing us how much you're saving us. Yeah. Um, and it's... I mean, yeah, they're saving you 8%, but they're charging you 75% of your bill. Do you think the fact that these fees are hidden and clearly intentionally hidden, uh, that this is creating backlash? I mean, you know, I think people would be more happy to know where the money's going and at least be transparent about all this than they would be trying to have the wool being pulled over their eyes (laughs) and then uh, sold some sort of freak show. Yeah, I mean, like to your your point you made earlier is that it's not that many people are against green. That's not the issue. The issue is the lack of transparency. Even with the global adjustment, maybe maybe they're right that and only a portion of that goes to green initiatives. But I want to know. I want to know where this money is going to. Yeah. We've spent $37 billion on the global adjustment, and there's very little transparency as to where that money is going. It's a big issue. And now, in a legal perspective, my understanding is the reason why they're unable to give us the information is because they signed contracts with the generators to say they're not allowed to tell us. Which to me just sounds like the stupidest contract you'd ever sign. Well, yeah, and and who would that benefit? I mean, really, the generator. Exactly. Uh, And and does the generator even care if you find out those fees or not? They're in it for the buck. What do they care? It's the government that's elected that cares. I mean, this really has created a huge backlash. And like you said, there there shouldn't be a reason for me to do this. I shouldn't have to spend time putting together a website that shows you all the fees in your bill that should be transparently shown to you if there's nothing to hide. But there are things in there. I mean, for the most part, there's a lot of pretty standard fees in there to cover stuff, but there's people don't really realize this, but inside of your regulatory charges, they, everyone pays a rate to um, cover the cost of rural communities. There's also rates in there to cover low-income households, which is not a problem per se, but the fact that it's hidden is confusing to me. So when Wynn's out there saying that she's giving money to people who are at risk of being having electricity shut off, she's not giving them money. Yeah. You are. inside of your electricity bill. Well, and that came out last week as she's trying to search for ways to uh, resolve this issue. And she's trying to do everything except actually making the system more efficient and, and <laughs> fixing the Green Energy Act period, which is wh- what she should do. Uh, she talked about uh, taking people off of clean electricity in rural areas that they've been heating their homes with for years, for decades, uh, and now replacing it with fossil fuel. How is that environmental progress? 
And 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 the other thing is is that uh, I think a lot are worried that because we don't know where the money's going, we don't know what's happening. Is it going to the government? Is there are they using these? You know, this is a fundraising campaign, and and many are worried. I'm hearing that that they're worried that natural gas bills are soon going to be as unaffordable as what she's made clean electricity. Which would be a huge issue for, I mean, it's one thing for certain areas in rural communities to be hit hard by these electricity bills, but soon it's going to hit the cities too, right? And yeah. These gas bills start going up as well. And, like, the interesting thing with this as well is just the lack of transparency in general is a big problem. And with the carbon tax as a prime example, like, who knows how expensive that actually is, but with the global adjustment, it's such a huge part of electricity bills, and the fact that we don't know where it's going is a real problem for everyone. So if you want to use this app, what do you do? How do you make it work? So you simply go to yourbill.ca, Y-O-U-R bill.ca, and anyone can go on there across Ontario. It's pretty straightforward. And it gives you a detailed breakdown of your usage. And then, although we can't really help homeowners, unfortunately, we're trying. We have a the third page of the site will help us see, you know, what can end power save you money. Um, and we can save money for certain customers, but not everyone, unfortunately, as much as we're trying. And so that's kind of, we are trying to help the average consumer save money in those electricity bills as, as opposed to just, you know, I've had people say that when they see these numbers, they just get disappointed and they get deflated. But the whole point of this is that, look, we need to get people to understand what's in your bill. There's no way you can control your costs if you don't even know what's in your costs, right? So, what? sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the first thing is you need to know what's hitting your costs and what's causing your costs to go up, and then we can start talking about how do we actually lower our costs. So when you go on to uh, yourbill.ca and, and you start uh, loading all this information in, how does it break down and tell you how much is going where? What what sort of readout or pie graph will you get? Yeah, so I mean the, the information we need isn't actually much. All you have to say is I'm a homeowner, I am with this utility, and I use this many kilowatt hours. And with that, we give you a, well, first it's a pie chart. So the pie chart's really high level. It says what percentage of your bill goes to electricity, to the utility, and to government. So I have in front of me that I have a homeowner in northern Ontario that uses 1,000 kilowatt hours. Only 4% of their bill goes to electricity. The rest goes to the Hydro One and then the government initiatives. So that's a very high-level breakdown. And if you click show more details, it gives you a very detailed breakdown in a table of every single line item in your bill. Unbelievable. Uh, too bad they just couldn't hire your company, and clearly they don't know how to do it. You could just you know, put a little excerpt on the bottom of everybody's bill, and they'd find out everything that they needed to know. Yeah, I mean, it's... I Have you got any response from government on this? So the, the one interesting with this is, like, the utilities aren't really our enemies. As much as usually your bills go up, you get mad at your utility, right? Yeah. It's common for us to do. But really, for most of us, unless you're with Hydro One, for most of us, the utility is a pretty small part of your bill. The, the major chunk is the global adjustment. It is these government initiatives. So we have been talking with utilities, but they're not legally allowed to even support any companies directly. They're, they're, as, a, as a monopoly, there are very strict rules on what they can and can't do. Yeah. And then from government side, I mean, municipalities are just as angry as the rest of us because their bills are going up too. They have to pay for the street lighting. So they're getting hit just as hard. And so municipalities, generally speaking, are more than happy to talk to us. Um, provincial level, we've had a lot of good talks with the Conservative Party and NDP parties as well. And they're definitely very interested in this, and not quite as much from the Liberal side. I think they're a little less happy that we're... <laughs> yeah, they must be just royally ticked that you've come up with this app that explains it all to them in a way that they could never do. Which, I mean, all this data, like I said, it's, it's publicly available. I just have to find it. So yeah. it's not even necessarily that it's rocket science. It just took forever to put it all together. So I don't know why we've like maybe it is to your point. Maybe it is. I just feel like people are too stupid to understand it. I hope that's not the thing because really the the best way to change this stuff is making sure everyone is aware of it, making sure everyone understands what's in there. Because without first understanding what's in your bills, we can't really have an educated conversation about how to lower our bills. Good point. Thomas Van Stee has been with us, founder at Empowered, and uh, that company has designed an app which will break down your electricity bill and tell you the things that Premier Win won't. Like how much of your bill is going to the Global Adjustment, which of course funds the Green Energy Act. Yourbill.ca to find out more. Yourbill.ca. Thomas, thanks very much for this. Good luck. Thank you. All right, take care. Uh, phone lines are open. 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. This is a great idea. Entrepreneurial and uh, obviously more vision than what the government has. Scott, what are your thoughts on electricity? Well, I- 
Scott, I just had a couple. I've been listening to your show. Um, I quite liked the segment with Patrick Brown uh, earlier. Uh, question, though. I mean, I understand where he wants to try and get rid of um, uh, the electricity issue. But in, if he's not going to sell off Hydro One, how's he going to hold the billion dollars open to all these different municipalities for infrastructure? Where's he going to get the money from? Uh, from what I heard when he was on the Bill Kelly show, he basically said that they're going to try to renegotiate some of these contracts and stop from signing any more and, and moving forward on them and, and trying to decode uh, what all of this means and, and, and how we can move forward. I mean, there's obviously contracts in there that can and cannot be broken. Um, but again, uh, she's admitted a mistake, but she's not fixing anything. All she is is giving her own money back. Uh, I think Patrick exactly. Brown realizes that somehow the system needs to be changed. It's broken. Which is good. And again, can they do a lot? I mean, I don't hold a lot of faith that, you know, I mean, it's like the 407. Once it's done, it's done, right? Um, uh, That being said, you got to stop this. It's getting out of hand. And again, I'm worried that, you know, once regulation and once they get their hands on uh, natural gas, that before you know it, natural gas will be as, as unaffordable as what electricity has become. Well, and to that point, I mean, that's great to say that you're going to put people on that have been on clean energy electricity all these years yeah. in rural areas. You're going to put them on natural gas. I don't know where your cottage is, but I grew up in the Muskokas. And I defy you to just go in and start laying gas lines to rural Muskoka. Well, you can't. And that's the reason that they haven't done it to this point is because it is way too expensive for so few customers. But what does it say when she has priced electricity so high that, as you mentioned, we now can't afford clean electricity and we have to spend that money on infrastructure to get those lines out there? Because even though it is expensive to service a small amount of people, it's still cheaper than her uh, clean electricity has become. I mean, it's odd that she's fighting so hard to save the planet, and yet she's driving people away from electricity. Uh, exactly. I, I just, it, it just, it's beyond fathomability. I just, Let me ask you this question. Mind. If Kathleen Wynne came out tomorrow and said, uh, in addition to my other mistake, this whole thing, it's crap, it's got to be scrapped, we're going to start over. Would you have confidence in her? Would you at least give her the chance? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, I thought I'd I'd try to reach out there and try to help her out a little bit, you know. Everyone's always getting upset. I'm slagging her. I'm just trying to help. There you go. Uh, Scott, thanks for the call. Much appreciated. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.